you. So who knows what else happens on August 28th? You can't answer. Or you. Anybody? Anybody? It's my birthday, too. So what y'all don't know is... Fair. Fair. Tiffany wins. Bible studies dismissed. Good night. Um, it is the birthday of IBC. I will be there. And if you happen to bring cake, I will receive it. That is how it's going to work. Okay. All right. Well, it is the end of the summer semester. I cannot believe it. So I want to ask y'all, how are you doing? But okay. This is, this is not what I expected, but this is good. But let me ask you, really, if, like, let's say we have known each other for 20 years, we are going to coffee, and we sit down, and I say, how are you? Would it be the same answer? You see, like, I don't know about y'all and how you're doing, but we are just coming out of a pandemic, kind of. We're not really. We're back in it. I don't really know what's going on. But we have been carrying these heavy loads. We haven't even been able to, if y'all remember when this started, we couldn't even enjoy comfort food because there was a flour and a cinnamon shortage. (laughs) And so we're just kind of out here making it. And we have been talking this summer about what grace is and what it means to us, what it looks like in our lives. We've been in this safe space here in the commons and IBC, but what about out there? What about when we leave here and we go out there and we are, we are out there plugging along and we are practicing what, what grace looks like and we are abiding in Jesus and we are beholding the face of Jesus and then we just come along and the bottom has dropped out and we realize we are just not okay. For me, I have had a lot of those moments in my life where things were, things were okay and then all of a sudden they weren't. One of them um, that happened and is still happening is actually watching my brother struggle through a meth addiction his whole life. My brother and I were really close growing up. He taught me how to read, and his meth addiction actually triggered mental illness, and now he's uh, paranoid schizophrenic. He will be for the rest of our lives, for his life. Our relationship will never be the same, and his life will never be the same. And to me, there's just no conclusion for that. Another time was when, after Kate was born, we were struggling with infertility when, um, with Kate, and we had fertility assistance um, to have her, and then we were trying to have another child. We desperately wanted to have another child, and we spent a large amount of our savings to try and have that other child, and God said no. Didn't matter how much money we spent, he said No. And then I remember one morning getting up to check my email and my best friend, who had been my maid of honor, she emailed me just to let me know that she didn't want to be friends anymore because she just never really liked me anyway and that she was done being friends. What do you do with those? And like, let's also talk about I'm getting older and so are my hormones and I am hot all the time, and it is 112 degrees outside, and I am not okay, friends. And it just gets <laughs> so what do we do? 
when we are not okay. I want to let you know there is grace for the not okay. There is grace for the not okay. You know, I know that we are all in here amazing women of God. I know y'all are phenomenal, and I know we work hard to go to the throne before we go to the phone. But when the bottom drops out, friends, we have questions. We want answers. We want to know what, what do we do in this? You know, when, when the Lord doesn't, doesn't um, show up in the timing that we want or the way that we want, I don't know about you, but what I start doing is I start trying to control and I start fixing and I start doubting and I start striving. I start striving. And so we have been talking about what it means to cease striving. But what happens when we go out there And the bottom drops out again, and we pick it right back up. And we start striving again. I want you to know, friends, there is grace for the not okay. And so tonight, we are going to look at two different postures that we often take in response to Jesus. One is, um, in situations like this, we will take a a posture of, of doubt, of questioning. This is one, and say, Jesus, are you... Do you mean that? Are you really who you say you are? And then the other posture that we often take is to go, Jesus, I don't really like the way that you're behaving. I don't really like how you're doing things, and so I I liked it a lot better my way, so I'm just going to keep doing it my way. Can you relate with either of those? Yeah, of course we can. So we're going to be in Matthew 11 tonight. We're going to look at two different postures, um, these two postures and then an invitation, an invitation that Jesus has for us. So two postures and an invitation. So turn with me to Matthew 11. If you have your Bible, just open it. Keep your Bible there. We're going to go through the entire chapter. We're not going to go through every single verse, but we're just going to be there. So just open your Bible and stay put. So let's start looking at this first posture in verse 1, the posture of doubt. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Okay, look, where does it say John is right now? Prison, way to go. So Herod Antipas, the king at the time, he put um, John the Baptist in prison because John the Baptist was um, saying that Herod's marriage to Herodias was actually um, illegal because she had previously been married to Herod's brother, Philip. And so here, John the Baptist is out doing the good work of the Lord and and calling out sin and, and calling this even to the kings and the leaders. And Herod puts him in jail. And so John the Baptist is suffering and in strife. John the Baptist has faith, just like us, but clearly he's not okay because look at what he's asking. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? Jesus, are you really who you say you are? And you see, the thing with John the Baptist, what makes this so um, astonishing that he would ask this is that John the Baptist knew 
Jesus. At one point, John directed his own disciples to stop following him and to start following Jesus. And he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As an unborn baby, John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, Elizabeth. Y'all remember the story of Mary, mother of Jesus, coming in to see her cousin Elizabeth. And the baby that Elizabeth was carrying leapt when when Mary, who had Jesus, came into the room. Y'all remember that? That was John the Baptist. So this was before they were even born, John the Baptist knew Jesus. Also, John baptized Jesus, and he heard God's voice thunder, said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's getting really clear for John, right? There is compelling proof that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. But in light of all of this evidence, you would think that John the Baptist would not be doubting that Jesus is who he says he is. But John had doubts. And clearly, John knew what it meant to wake up one day and just not be okay. He says, he's calling from prison. He's like, hey, my disciple friends, can y'all ask your friend Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Are you really the Messiah? You know, he's, he's in prison and he's kind of suffering and he's like, hey, if it's you, can we get on with this? If it's not, let me call the guy who will take care of this. And Jesus gets word of this, and Jesus scolds him and condemns him and curses him. No. (laughs) Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus was gentle and kind, and he responded to John by reminding him of who he was. Look in verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus is quoting part of Isaiah 61 right here. He's quoting it back to John, something that John would clearly remember because John prophesied about the coming of the Messiah and Isaiah 61 prophesied of the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying, look, John, he quotes this back and sends it to him and says, look, this about the Messiah, I'm doing it. This is the work I'm doing. This is who I am. I am the Messiah. The rescue doesn't look like you thought it would. This part in Isaiah 61 that he leaves, that Jesus leaves out, is that the captives will be freed. And Jesus leaves that part out, and John understands. Jesus is the Messiah, but it's not going to look the way John thought it would. And Jesus said, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble, who doesn't stop believing, because I don't look like you thought I would. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stop believing because I don't look like you thought I would. Have you ever felt that way? When just the way Jesus handled things and managed things didn't look the way we thought it would? When we begin to doubt and we begin to say, but Jesus, I, all I wanted was another child. All, like This is a good thing to raise a child in, for your good and your And for your glory, why wouldn't you want that, Jesus? Are you who you say you are? And Jesus reminds us so clearly that he is who he says he is. And the thing about Jesus is that he is not stressed out by doubt. Doubt does not 
get Jesus all in a ruffle because Jesus would tell us, he would say, follow the truth, absolutely follow truth wherever it takes you because he knows if we follow truth, it's gonna take us to him because he is what? The way, the truth, and the life. And so hear this, when we talk about doubt, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not a rejection. The opposite of faith is certainty and control. And so think about doubt and faith kind of on this journey together to help us explore what's really true. It's doubt that helps us discover our faith and that they work together. And so when John was in that place of doubt in the midst of not okay, Jesus responded with truth and with grace. John Bloom, he is an author. He describes this response this way. He says, in this age, even the greatest, strongest saints experience deep darkness. None of us are spared sorrow. Most of us suffer agonizing affliction at some point. Most of us will experience seasons when we feel as if we've been abandoned. Most of us will die hard deaths. The Savior does not break the bruised reed, meaning he does not kick us when we're down. He hears our pleas for help and is patient with our doubts. He does not condemn us. He has paid completely for any sin that is exposed in our pain. He does not always answer with the speed we desire, nor is his answer always the deliverance we hope for. But he will always send the help that is needed, that he knows that we need. His grace will always be sufficient, complete, and perfect for those who trust in him. His grace will be enough for us when we trust in him because there is grace for the not okay. So that is one posture. Let's keep going and let's look at this other, the no thanks, I don't like the way you do things posture. Verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe is another way of saying cursed. Cursed is you, Chorazin, cursed is you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Okay, that's just easy and clear, right? <laughs> nope. Let's get some background here. So this needs some background. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. They were towns with a strong religious presence. It was filled, these towns were filled with religious leaders. And Jesus is saying that, um, well, Jesus had performed many of his miracles in those towns just a couple chapters earlier in Matthew. And so Jesus is saying, had I performed the miracles in those towns where there were not believers in the other, in Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, then they would have listened. But where there were religious leaders, they didn't listen. And so Sodom, if you remember, was an Old Testament city that God wiped off the map. Funny story, Victoria was making a map today because she thought I wanted a map of these cities. And she was like, no one knows where Sodom was. There were like 12 different places when you Google it. It's because God wiped it off the map, literally. He destroyed it because of their wickedness. And Tyre and Sidon were a pair of coastal cities that were known throughout the region for their idolatry and the rejection of God. 
And so here you have these two sets of cities. And those in the religious cities, in Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Chorazin, they had read the Old Testament scriptures. They had religious leaders there in their cities. And so they had an idea in their minds of what the Messiah was supposed to look like. They strictly followed God's law, and they based their reputation, their value, their worthiness um, on their self-proclaimed righteousness. So their value was tied directly to their ability to follow the rules. And then Jesus. And then Jesus comes along, and he messes with their rigid beliefs. And he begins preaching that outward righteousness isn't righteousness at all, but what's important is the heart and your motivation. And you see, everything that these religious leaders have been living for and striving toward, this motivation of looking better and being self-righteous than everyone else, Jesus is saying that's no longer important. And so what these religious leaders had done is they had used the law to weaponize it against those who didn't keep the law, against the religious, I mean, against the sinners and the tax collectors. So what that meant is these religious leaders, they would use the law and their ability to obey the rules to lift themselves up and then push others down because they didn't follow the law. And so they would lift themselves up high and oppress and push down others that they deemed unworthy. But then Jesus came to the cities and he began performing miracles. And who did Jesus perform miracles for? Look back at verse 5. The blind, the lame, the poor, the sick, the deaf, the marginalized, the set aside, the overlooked, those who couldn't help themselves, who couldn't lift themselves up those who had been pushed down and rejected and needed a savior. And that was who Jesus began to perform these miracles for. Jesus didn't do things the way these religious leaders thought that he should. He didn't support their agendas, and he didn't push down the unworthy. And so they said, all right, Jesus, we don't really like the way you're doing things. It's great that you want to help those people over there, But that doesn't really do anything for us. So we're just going to keep doing it our way, the way we liked. They didn't have any interest in the life, the freedom, the change that Jesus was offering them through himself. They didn't like the way he was behaving. What do we do when Jesus doesn't behave the way we think he should? What do we do when the rescue doesn't look like I planned? When his will and his words don't support the agenda and the plan that I've already put in place? I find myself thinking things like, so Jesus, I I shared my calendar with you. I showed you what was coming, and um, I'm going to offer you grace because it doesn't look like you checked my calendar before you booked some things on here. So what do we do in those places? Well, Bethany Allen, she's a pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland. She says it this way. She says, Jesus is never interested in the sponsoring of his presence, only interested in the response to his presence. Is Jesus a sponsor? 
You know, Jesus is moving in this passage. He's moving toward this very vested um, interest in life change, and he considers this very serious business. He doesn't scold or curse or condemn those who are broken and repentant and asking for his help. He scolds and curses those who have seen his presence, who have seen his miracles, who know him firsthand and are unwilling to be changed by him. Friends, in this room, I know we have experienced Jesus. I know we have seen stories of tumors disappearing, of checks showing up in the mail when expenses were tight. I know we can attest to the transforming power of the gospel that doesn't take away life but brings life and freedom. I know we can. I know we've seen that. And I know we can think of situations where Jesus didn't quite respond in the way we thought he should. And friends, there is grace for the not okay. Jesus moves on in this passage, and he moves from talking to the people to talking to God, talking to his Father. And he thanks his Father for revealing the message of the gospel of, of ch- to the children and to the simple. Not the dumb, but the simple who are humble, who need a Savior, who need a rescue. And this is where Jesus comes in close and extends an invitation to us. Look at verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there are three parts to this invitation that we're going to wrap up with. Come, take, and learn. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Was John weary in prison? John's death was imminent. He knew what was coming. Were the sinners and the tax collectors, were they burdened with the oppression of the religious leaders? Are we burdened with everything that we have going on, the divisiveness in our nation, the division we're experiencing, the different values we're seeing all of the time, the rising gas prices, the heat? We are burdened. So the Greek weary here in the Greek is kapaio, and that means to be emotionally fatigued. Can I get an amen? So come. In the first week of our study, Camille taught us what it means to center Jesus instead of our centering ourselves. So this is an invitation to come and center Jesus. But that also means when we come, that means there's something that we're leaving behind. We can't come without leaving something behind. So what do we need to leave behind? Is it the need to be right? You know, the religious leaders were so vested in being right that they missed the entire kingdom of God. They missed the people of God that were all around them. Do we need to leave behind the need to be okay? The need to have it all together and to just show up looking together to feel like we're doing things all the right way. Jesus invited those who desperately needed him. And he said, come to me, those of you who can't stop running and just need rest. Come. Second, number two, take. 
take my yoke upon you. Take implies that something has been given or been offered, something for us to take. And here Jesus is offering a yoke. In the second week of our study, Shireen taught us about the free gift of grace that was something that was also very costly because it cost Jesus his life. And this yoke that Jesus is offering is an extension of this gift that he is offering us. So let's explore what a yoke is. A yoke is this wooden crossbar between two steers, oxen, if you want to call them, it's the same thing. Um, it is that crossbar between them, and they are yoked together in order to do better work. They can do more work together than just on their own, and so they are yoked together. So it's that wooden crossbar right there. In biblical times, another way to describe yoke is a rabbi had a specific way of teaching and, and preparing his students, and so that was called taking on the yoke of the rabbi. It was his method of teaching, and you would take on that yoke. Now, does it bother y'all that when we talk about yoke, it's right after Jesus said rest, and yoke is actually something that you take on and do work, because that bothers me a little bit. But this quote helped me so much. This is Dale Bruner. He explained it like this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry that life, a fresh way to bear the responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment, the best equipment there is. This yoke is a means of God extending his grace to us. And he is offering the best equipment. Think about if, um, let's just say Kate, my daughter, and I, who my daughter is 10. She's like here. But let's say she was younger. And think of us as tied in a yoke together. We are working together. And as we are plowing this field, who's doing all the work? Not her. And... It's 112 degrees outside, and we are plowing the field and pushing through, and I am carrying that burden. And what's she doing? This is great. I love hanging out. When are we going to go get ice cream? When do you want to go on vacation? What are we going to do? I have this coming up because she is just enjoying the company while I am doing all the work. Jesus is doing all the work, and we are enjoying his company. That is what it looks like to be yoked, to take on the yoke of Jesus, is just to enjoy the company of the Savior while he carries the burden. Enjoying the presence of the Savior while he carries the burden, which leads us to our next one, number three, learn. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest. So learn. What does Jesus want us to learn? Well, Kathy taught us that when we don't measure up, we don't have to carry shame. Just grace. Tiffany pointed us to the gentle and humble aspect of Jesus' character and that his greatest desire is for us to behold him and become just like him. And we know that through, and we do that through what Betsy taught us, which is to just rest and abide in the presence of God. Do you know that in all of scripture, this is the only place where Jesus tells us himself of his own character? This is the only place that Jesus talks about his own character, and it's in the middle of an invitation. And he is saying, come to me because you can trust me. I am gentle. I am humble. You 
can trust me. And he doesn't give us a solution. He gives us himself. So what does this invitation look like practically lived out? Well, (laughs) I'll tell you what it looks like for me. I would tell you that um, in the last few months, I have probably been at what you would call a low boil, maybe like a four on the stove. (laughs) And it kind of, it started, I know, probably back in April or May during just a really busy season where I was heads down just trying to get stuff done, trying to wrap up things, and my plate was full, and I was just trying to get stuff done. Um, And then slowly when little things would come up and bother me, I would just respond in anger. It was what I had. It was just coming out. That was the only thing that I had. I would respond to things in anger. And I just thought, well, these people are frustrating, obviously. And then um, I went through a couple of really stressful things um, with Kate. She's moving to a new school and had to go through the application process. And there's just always this thing of this rejection that might be looming and hidden in there. And then she auditioned for a new dance team. And that was a whole thing. And just, you know, carrying other people's things that we love, like the people we love, and carrying their things for them. And that's what I was doing. And I was studying scripture right? I was right here. I had my head down. I was pointing people to Jesus, but I wasn't taking the time for me to look at Jesus. I was doing a lot of of good work, but not sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it was probably about two weeks ago when somebody asked how I am, and I started crying. I just, I couldn't keep it in. I was like, I'm feeling a lot of rejection. And you know who's not going to reject me? Jesus. The one who extended the invitation was the one that I had put my hand up and said, not now. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I like the way that you're doing these things. And so what it looked like for me was gathering up all of these things that I had been carrying All of these things that were just, I was holding all of them. And so, of course, the slightest little triggers are going to send me into tears or anger. And I just put them all, and I just put them at Jesus' feet. And I was like, whatever you want to do, these are yours. Because these didn't do the trick for me. And only you can. And it was surrendering that and saying, I am weary And I want to learn from you. And I need to see your face. And so the past two weeks, I have been looking at his face. And I can't say that there aren't still moments where there's a trigger and I get mad. I had to apologize to somebody just a couple days ago. But there is grace for the not okay And so in those spaces, we keep taking everything and putting it at his feet, giving it to him and saying, I need you and you're enough. So what does the invitation look like for you? He is trustworthy. He is faithful. And in his invitation, we can find rest for our souls and a safe place to ask the hard questions and to process disappointment. In Jesus, we find grace for all the circumstances of life, and there is grace for the not okay. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you just for your word, just for the example of people who blew it, (laughs) so that we can understand that you see us and you have an invitation for us. You have grace for us. Thank you for loving us even when we put our hands up. And even when we ask, are you sure you are who you say you are? Thank you for loving us so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, you will have some discussion questions on the screen, and then I will be back with a couple of announcements, and then we'll close. (laughs) All right, ladies. Sorry. I feel like we could talk quietly because there's a group break. But I'll just go. So something that we haven't talked about that has been in my mind this whole time is when strivings cease. And that's a song, and I would always sing it. And so I thought that we would just conclude with a reminder of what that says because these lyrics are also an invitation and telling us and reminding us of who Jesus is. And so I want you to think about this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and when striving cease. He's my comforter, my all in all. And here in the love of Christ, I stand. That is the picture of what it means when strivings cease. And I pray that for each one of you as we go out. And then as we go into fall Bible study. That was fun. Y'all were like, serious, serious, party, party. Um So um, I want to tell you about fall and spring together. Um, We are excited about what is coming up. So our fall Bible study is going to be God of Covenant. It is Genesis 12 through 50. So yes, we will do a little intro of Genesis 1 through 11. We're not just going to skip it. We will talk about it. It is important. And then we will spend a lot of time focusing on the God of covenant and what that means, what God's covenant means, the importance of that, starting with Abraham and moving um, all through that to Joseph. And so it um, is written by Jen Wilkin. She is at the Village Church in Highland Village. And we will not be using her videos because... We will be using our teachers. And we will also be taking things in a different direction. And what's cool about having our own teachers is teaching to y'all. That when we do things like writing this message and what we talked about tonight, there are your stories in our minds. And just last, last week, two weeks ago, I don't know when it was, we were sitting at this table. And I was like, hey, what have we not talked about? What do we need to talk about? What do we need to hear? And that's how this came up of like, but I'm, I'm not okay, and what does that mean? And like, grace is great in a vacuum, but what about when we get out there? And like, that's actually where that came from is by having discussions with some of y'all. And so um, that is why we do things like that. Now, another exciting thing coming right on the heels of that that um, is actually catering to catering to, um, ministering to the women of IBC by the women of IBC is a study that we are doing in the spring. This is um, in 
we're team writing. We group wrote a Bible study. And so um, we have not done this in a long time. This was a very exciting thing by some women in this very room wrote this study. And it is on the parables of Jesus. I had to write the title down. Um, We just kind of, it finalized it today. It's called Revealed, Discovering the Surprising Truths in the Parables of Jesus. And so it is about exploring the parables and not just looking at the stories of Jesus, but actually what are those truths in there that Jesus cares the most about that are pointing us to his kingdom and to what our lives should look like and how we respond to Jesus and to one another, what our lives look like in this world. So a group of us have gotten together under Alice McQuitty's leadership and written this study. And so we will be doing this study in the spring. And so now you know what we are doing in the fall And what we are doing in the spring, we will kick off in the fall on September 13th. I see most of you should be writing that down. September 13th. Um, Registration is not open yet. We will be opening it soon. You will receive an email from us to say, registration's open. Go register. But we will let you know as soon as that is ready to go. So get excited. I'm really excited about where we're going and what we're going to be studying. It's going to be amazing.